Welcome to the CityGate Church podcast. Today's message was recorded at our live Sunday services, and we hope that it encourages you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. My message today is about how we do our life as a Christian. What does Paul talk about? What does Scripture say? So I'm going to use a lot of Scripture today. Is that okay? But but I hope it links in to where you are right now and where the church is moving. I hope you can sort of, and I'll try and do the same, put it into its context of where we are today. Uh, so my message today is from uh, Thessalonians 5.23. Let's put that up on the board. And I want you to hold that passage there because I want to defrag it down a bit. Is that okay? Defrag, is that right? De- de- pull it apart. I can do that. Look, now, 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 that's an important word. That's a connecting word. Now, may the God, may God Himself, the God of peace. Now, that's an emphasis. Often when Paul would write here, talk about God said or God did, or this is something He wants, or I speak even, but I speak as an oracle of God. But he says here, now God Himself, the God of peace. Now, that's a good idea in this day and age when things are a little bit unsettled. What I love about church life and the, and the way we keep moving forward is, you've got to remember this, God has been in the business, the Holy Spirit has been in the business of building His church for 2,000 years and it will continue to do so even in times it seems so difficult and awkward. But He says to us, He is the God of peace. Take the peace, receive it into your life and understand He's a God of peace. He brings peace. Sanctify you through and through. The word sanctified, as you know, is an important theological word. It has three components to it, and it means basically holy, or the best way of saying it is set apart. So the first idea of sanctification is called as positional sanctification. When you meet Christ and you become a Christian, you are set apart. You are set apart and destined to a new eternal lifestyle. You're set apart in the world you live in. That's the struggle for a lot of people who become Christians. It's, it's, I'm different, something's changed. My heart wants something new now. I'm set apart. The third part of it is the end result of sanctification. And that is the fulfilment of sanctification, which is being eternally with God with a glorified body, in a glorified state for eternity. This thing, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is not the thing we take Eternally, we receive a glorified state. We're set apart for that. That's the end result of sanctification. And uh, I don't know about you, but I suggest you put your order in for a new body now. I'm doing Arnold Schwarzenegger's body at 25, but I don't want his head. And neither is accent. It's just a thing. But certainly the body... And um, that's, that's the end result of sanctification. Then there's a the, there's the little bit in the, in the middle called functional sanctification or working your sal- sanctification, not your salvation, your sanctification out or set apart life out, right? So he talks about that being, a, we just, we just keep the verse up there, guys. I can't remember everything here. Okay. <laughs> it says then, may your whole... Spirit, soul, and body kept, be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting that, because this discussion Paul has with the Thessalonians is last days. They actually believed they were living in the last days. 
Now, what Paul does is he doesn't explain it much there, but he says stuff like this. He says, I'm not gonna tell you when it is, and I don't know when it is, but what, this is what you do until the end. You set yourself apart, spirit, soul, and body. Now, here's what's interesting. The context of that verse is not talking about three parts. It's talking about one part. He is, we've done this thing where we've divided very clearly now, spirit, what I do in my spirit is one thing, soul, oh, that's another issue I'm having trouble with there, body. Paul says it's actually, that's called a trichotomy, when you divide it three times and three parts. And that's okay, we talk that way and the Bible does address that, but not here. Paul is bringing it together. And one thing we've noticed in this modern age, isn't it, is that now we know what your soul is doing affects your body. So sometimes, or in the past, you could just deal with the body and you'd never ask questions about the soul life. But we've discovered that actually affects the body and the body affects your spirit life. Because if your body's not right, this, it can cause other issues. We've figured that out in the last 20 years. Paul knew that when he wrote this. It's all one thing. That's called a monochotomy or one thing. But actually creation is a dichotomy, two things. Because God is kicking around the dust and making a physical form. And then he says, well, I'll bring some life to it. And he breathes once into that. Trichotomy, dichotomy, monochotomy. What's Paul's emphasis? Monochotomy, one thing. Get the one thing whole, sanctified, set apart until the, uh, until, blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the same applies to us. This verse is, it's endless for us. It, it ha, it, it's not a contextual thing for the Thessalonians. He's speaking into our world. He's speaking into our time. But the thing that's interesting about that is the word now. Now, the word now is used a bit in Scripture, like in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is. And I've, I've made the mistake, and others have too, of preaching now faith. It's now faith. But that's not that word. It's a connecting word. It's meaning there's something before what I've, what I've just said before helps you understand this. If you don't get the bit before, you don't understand this bit now. So to understand this bit now, I have to go backwards in the verses and pull it down to where it gets to now. Are, are you keeping up? So I'm gonna start in verse 16. So to understand now, may the God of peace keep you and blameless before and whole and ready for the, for the time of His return. Now, let's go back to verse 16. Here's the first thing he says. This is really amazing. He says, always. But it's an important thing, rejoice. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand about that word, uh, rejoice. Re means visit something you already had, which is joy. Here's the trouble of some people in our world. They have lost a bit of joy. You were talking about it today. Your, your church hasn't. You, I don't know, you shoot up drugs before you come in here. This is the church on steroids. I don't know what it is in this place, but boy, it's great. It's electric. It's Jesus-centered. Uh, you cannot help but embrace joy. But this is always, and he says you've got to go back to the joy that you had when you met Christ. A lot of Christians need to know that. They have found joy in meeting Christ, and then as time has gone on, stuff has beaten them up a bit, and they've lost that joy. They've got it that's really deep. And they just, the old Pentecostals, you met those ones, they've been sucking lemons all week. 
And uh, they come to church and say, brother, it's all about joy. I've got joy. It's very deep. In fact, I can't find it anymore. Well, here's what Paul would say. Go back to what you had before. Rejoice. That's one thing. I'll say no more on that because it was said today. Here's the word that I don't like in this verse that really ticks me off. Always. Always. Why does he, why can't he just say, rejoice, guys? Do you know when he does always, there is no room for personality? None. Like you think you'd, today we'd bracket that with, unless you're a melancholic and don't feel like it. Unless your personality isn't that way, you're okay. You don't have to do this always. You can just be, be real. Just be yourself. But Paul doesn't do that. You don't want Paul as your pastor. There's two people you'll never want as your pastor, Paul the Apostle and Jesus. Actually, I'll add a third one, me. Just chuck that one in for... But Paul, you know, if you went to Paul for counselling, he'd throw this one at you, wouldn't he? Rejoice, bro. Always! Thanks, Pastor Paul. Always. It doesn't allow room for circumstance. For what I'm in at the moment. It doesn't allow room for what I'm facing. It's just a statement of this is what you do always. And it's hard, isn't it, to do? It's not an easy thing to rejoice always. I think probably one of the greatest battles we have is to remind ourselves that as we go through stuff and life treats us certain ways, that that visiting joy again in the always moments is a crucial part of setting myself apart in these days I live. And I'll tell you what, I believe he's saying here, there is no room for the luxury of marinating in yourself or your circumstances or excuses. Rejoice always. The next thing he says is pray without ceasing. It gets worse. It doesn't get better. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Well, Paul, I, for me personally, I'd just rather go to a prayer meeting where you're basically there to pray. Not Paul. He says it's an attitude of your mind now. You have to shift the way you're thinking all the time to praying to me. That means my thought life has to be arrested at times because my thought life is not really very prayerful sometimes. So when I'm communicating to God in prayer always uh, or without ceasing, it's adjusting my thought life. Have you ever had a text from somebody and um, they say they have a need or something, could you pray? And, and you write back and say, praying for you. And usually it's praying, we don't put the G on, it's praying for ya, with an exclamation mark. And actually, it doesn't mean a thing. It's just a thing. We just say that. Well, I've discovered you can actually say that and be honest if you're a person who prays without ceasing. Because you just go straight into it. Lord, I'm, I'm just in that moment right now. You can pray without ceasing anywhere. You can pray without, because it's, it's not an event that you go to. It's not a thing that you have to do. It's not a moment that is set aside. Now, those things are good. And prayer early in the morning and, and stuff like this, these are great things. But here's, here's what he's actually saying to us. Your attitude of mind must be all the time communicating to me your prayer life. 
That is not hard unless you've let your thought life get out of control. So rejoicing affects that part of me, spirit, soul, and body. Remember, we're talking about the soul, spirit area. Now he addresses my thought life and pray without ceasing. So you've got to adjust my thought life all the time. Now, to be, to be fair, in the, it's a bit like what Julian was talking about. You know, he uses the name of Jesus a lot. And I guess we all do, I hope. But certainly for me, I've started to learn over many, I've been a Christian now 50 years, of this idea of praying without ceasing. And it really helps me understand to keep my mind fresh, positive, focused. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm like everybody else. Your personality can sneak in sometimes and just take you down rabbit warrens. You shouldn't go down. But this, this helps me set apart my whole man as I rejoice always and then pray without ceasing. And then it doesn't get even, it still doesn't get better. In everything, give thanks. Paul, just the first one was enough. Can you leave us alone? And he makes it even worse than this because he says, and this is the will of God. (laughs) Couldn't you just say, why is he so blatant? Because he wants us set apart to serve God in the right way. The functional part of sanctification means I engage in giving thanks. Now, I was in a somewhere recently and they asked the question, how do we help people discover the will of God? And uh, we had a couple of panelists and one of them talked about the idea of, um, you know, seeking God and understanding this and that and the other thing. And of course, being me, I just said, listen guys, honestly, for me, if you wanna know the will of God, it starts with at least three or four passages in scripture that you practice on a daily basis before you even seek the other stuff. I want to know what career, I don't want to know geography, I want to know what God's will is. Well, hold on a minute. Here's one. In everything, give thanks. This is, are you doing that every day? Because you can't ask for the greatest stuff till you've done the basic stuff. I don't think. Well, well, after the inspiration of the other two, it sort of went down like a lead balloon. But there's some truth. Notice what he says though. In everything. Very important you get this right because you never, you never thank God for anything. Never thank God for anything. As soon as you thank God for something, you're assuming He gave it to you. You are assuming He's the source. He's not the source. That's why we give thanks in, and by the, by the way, Colossians refers to that and Ephesians 2. You give thanks in or through something, not for something. Now, I made that mistake, and you probably heard this story and I've written about it in my, one of my books too. When I was a young, Christ, uh, sorry, when I was a young pastor, um, I hadn't been to Bible college. I was learning all this stuff as I went along. We were planting a church. I think I was about 24 or 25. And I had a Datsun 180B. Remember, who remembers a Datsun? You have to be really old to remember those ones. Datsun 180B. Well, the car was fine, but the tyres kept getting flat. Every time I go outside, they were flat tyres. All the air had gone to the top. There was none in the bottom. And... Um, and I got really angry one day with it. I started to speak to the tyres. Isn't it funny how we speak to things that don't, can't answer back? Uh, you know, I started, you flipping tyres, what the heck? I've got to go here, look what you've done. And, and I remember just thinking, I've just been reading this, hey, give thanks. Give, so I said, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the flat tyres. Thank you, Lord, for the flat tyres. That's right. Adjust my attitude. Thank you, Lord, for the flat tyres. And the Holy Spirit literally spoke to me and said, if you're so happy with one, I can easily give you three more. <laughs> 
That's a true story. And I, I was a bit affronted by that and I thought, good point. You don't give thanks for, you give thanks in. And that's a big difference to how we look at life. It's a theological shift for us actually because we're looking now at a process we're entering into rather than a sourcing of where it came from. And we know that when you try and source where something comes from, you will get stuck in some uh, miry clay you can never get out of. Because you, you, and many people have, can I say, not, they've, they've left church, they've left Christianity because they got stuck into the where did this come from question rather than I'm going to go through this question, uh, this process, and I'm going to come out the other side and it's God's will for me to give thanks in it, even though I don't like it, and even though I don't know who did it, I will go through it giving thanks. I've only done three things, and already they're awful. Rejoice always. Well, I could take that one and spend my lifetime just on that one. Pray without ceasing. I've got to work on that. That's every day, when you go to sleep, when you wake up. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God for you. So the next thing he says is, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench. Now, now there's about five things we can do to annoy the Holy Spirit. I use the word annoy. We can reject, we can, we can forget and stuff like this. But there's one called quench, and it's this one. This is what it means, to put out the fire. Now, as Pentecostals we are, and Charismatics, we're very good and rightly so, of talking about the experience of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, and living in the Holy Spirit, and having the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we often forget that on the day of Pentecost, it was the Holy Spirit with fire. Let's not forget the fire. They had tongues of cloven fire. And there's a fire that comes when you meet God that changes everything. It's more than passion. It's so easy to say, oh, it's passion. It's more than passion. Fire consumes things. Fire drives things away. If you're in the path of a fire, you get out of the way of that fire. Fire, fire uh, is a different substance altogether than water, which is sometimes we talk about the, the, the Holy Spirit being water and the Word of God being water. Fire is completely different. It's the opposite. And I think sometimes we forget about the fire of the Holy Spirit. So you come into a church like this where there's genuinely a fire and there's some people who say, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that's too much. Oh, that, and, and they are quenching sometimes the Spirit. You're putting out your fire. The fire's still there, but you're, you're putting water on it. Come on, let's keep our fire burning for all that God is doing. Let's make sure we don't lose the capacity to let that fire, not just the work of the Spirit, but the fire of God resurface in our lives. Then he adds this one, do not despise prophecies. Now, this one is intriguing to me because um, in our mindset, we can often think that the idea of prophecies is this concept of open mic day, where somebody comes with a word. I've noticed you don't have an open mic day here, or open mics, no prophecy, no um, opportunity for somebody to share a prophecy. And you know what? Good. Because I've been to the so-called prophetic churches. Oh yeah, oh, we're a prophetic church. And all they have is a microphone sitting there. But they're actually very grumpy. 
They're not happy people. And then somebody waddles up to the microphone and gives a little word that you can think, why is that so powerful? That's in the Bible. That doesn't make sense. And everyone goes, I don't, don't get that because I'll tell you what a prophetic church is to me. When you read 1 Corinthians 14 and unpack what Paul says there, he says prophecy is three things, comfort, exhortation, and edification. I'll explain those. Comfort is to put your arms around and protect somebody or look after them. Exhortation is to move somebody forward. Edification is to build somebody up. That's all it is. Paul says, I want you all to prophesy. Now, that's a great statement. Now, think of this. Imagine if we had a church where every Sunday, globally, every Sunday, every Christian as they got out of their car, decided today, all I will do is comfort, edify, and exalt. exhort. That's all I will do in my body language, in my tone of voice, in the words. I'll hang up my stuff on the coat hook out in the foyer, the spiritual coat hook, and I will go into church comforting, edifying, exhorting. Thousand people every Sunday and that's what they did. A little bit like here. I'll tell you what had happened. What will happen is exactly what Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 when he says, and when you prophesy, they will fall down on their face and say, God is in this house. Now I'll help you with the prophetic church with the open mic. I've never seen that happen. I've never seen somebody get up and get the mic and some person who doesn't come to church will go, oh my God, it's in the house. Never seen it. But I've seen it where churches practice those three and everyone's engaged. I've seen that happen. So recently I was in a church. I would class it as a prophetic church. They were comforting, edifying, exhorting. It was moving forward. It was a, you walked in and you sensed God's presence. People were alive. They were engaged. It was a church about, they had two services of 800 each, each time. So it was a big church. And I was doing book sales because I do books and I've got books for you again today because books uh, make you sanctified and set apart, especially my books. After you read them, they'll help you become a better Christian. And, um, and so I've got another book, a new one actually, a new one for you today. Um, so get ready for that. And I ha you have to rush to the back because I've only bought a few with me. I've only bought three. So you have to get out there because I want to go home and say to my wife, I sold all the books. I need to do that. And um, so that'll be out there. But um, so she, this young girl, she's 19, she's Gen Z. And, I, you know, we had a bit of a moment uh, where we could talk. And I said to her, tell me your story. I thought this would be interesting here. She said, I'll tell you my story. My parents come to this church and, and, and part of my family does too. But I dropped out at 10, refused to go back. I, I left the faith. She said, I went out and I just lived the life. She didn't go into the detail, but obviously you know where that went. And she said, one day this January, my parents asked me to come and pick, pick them up from church. She said, I hadn't been for like 10 years. I walked through the door into the auditorium and just were looking for them. And I started weeping. She said, I wept for three hours. I couldn't stop. Now she said, you've got to understand, my parents from a young child to now had never seen me weep, ever. I don't weep. I just, she said, something hit me. Just looking at the people, I just, and I, she said, I had to sit down. Then she says, and it happened to my brother. And I thought, I am in the presence of a prophetic church. Yes. Not a prophecy, not an open mic, but the presence of comfort, edification, exhortation overwhelmed this girl. And she fell down, so to speak, and said, God is in this house. Well, that's a great story, isn't it? I'm going, that's a great story. Two days later, I was in Germany. 
And I was talking in a meeting with about 10 uh, leaders of a church. And I happened to throw this story in without telling them uh, the name of the church. I just told them it was in a certain country. A guy put his hand up, up the back, a young man. And he said, is the name of that church such and such? I said, yes, it is actually. Same thing happened to me two years ago. I walked in and hit the ground and I didn't stop crying all day. And now I'm, in, and now I'm planting a church. That's a prophetic church. Here's the thing. Some people despise that. I don't like your church. It's a little bit too over the top. You're just a little too happy clappy. You're just a little bit out there in faith. You're just a bit more than it ought to be. You're just a bit more than, are you listening? And we become despisers of a great culture. I just want to go back to the quiet, to the small, to the less engaging, to where I can just be my real self, to where I can just come as I am. Oh, Lord, please don't come as you am. Ah, that's better. Rejoice. You can't come as you am, ah, can you? Those are my personal pronouns now, Emma. You can't do that, can you? Because if you're rejoicing always, you're praying without ceasing, you're giving thanks in all things, and you are not quenching the spirit, and you are now despising not atmosphere and culture and what's happening, how can you come as you are? You've got to, you'll come different. We talk about an encounter with God that changes people, and my Lord, we need more of that. But Paul is describing how you do it every day. This is what you do every day to be set apart. And it's, it doesn't look easy, but it can be done. So let's not despise what God is doing in Citygate. Let's not let people despise what God is doing in your house. Let's explain it to people. Help them understand we are a prophetic church. All of us, when we come together, are edifying, uh, building up, moving people forward. We want to be prophetic. Well, I haven't heard of a prophecy. No, because we are the prophecy. Let's not despise that. Then the next thing he says, this is interesting because he jumps now to the way we think. Test all things. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. I like that because sometimes, you know, you can, hey, God is not, he's not put off by your questions. He's not concerned by that. Neither, we, neither are we. If you've got questions, come and ask. And sometimes test, you test what's going on and you ask questions about it. So Paul says, despise not prophesying. And can I just bleed this into the prophetic realm of as, as it is now? Because there's a lot of stuff out there on uh, online stuff where you can, you know, go to a, sign into a prophetic conference and at the end of it, you get a certificate that you're a prophet stuff and all that sort of thing. There's a lot of that out there. But here's what Paul says, that test it. We need to do, we just blindly sometimes run into stuff when we should actually say, wait a minute, let me ask a philosophical question about this. Where's this going to go? Where does this lead? And he doesn't mind that. He, so part of my journey in life of being sanctified is the ability to just ask a few questions and move forward. And then this one is pretty strange because this is what he says next. Abstain from every form of evil. Now that is written to a group of Christians. That doesn't make sense. 
Because the word evil is not usually used in a church context or Christian context. It's used outside of the church. So we would say that there on YouTube or on social media or on the internet, that's evil. Or we might say that person that did that, that's evil. But we would never think as Christians we could be evil. But Paul says, abstain from evil, you Thessalonian Christians. Let me explain what that means. The word evil means to work against God's will. That's all it means. And that's why I'm not a church Democrat. Because democracy in the church just keeps working against God's plan. I don't like this. I want this. I want the other thing. Let's vote on it. You can't do that. You either, and this is where it's important right now, folks. Some of you may have an opinion what the future is going to look like and where it's going to go. But don't work against what God is doing. Join it. Be a part of what God is doing and where He's moving right now and how He's moving. Get engaged in what He's doing. Don't be the resistor of what God's plan is. And that's what Paul is saying. Abstain from anything like that. Keep away from it. Join up with what God is doing. Embrace it. Work with it. And if you do these things, he mentions, we now go back to the verse that we started with and it makes sense because this is what it says, as we'll say, now. After all of that, now. Because of all of that, now. You practice those things, now God will do the work of setting you apart and sanctifying in our functional sanctification. Thank goodness we've been saved. Thank goodness we have a resurrection. But I've got to live 70, 80, 90 years on this planet and I've got to outwork what he's doing. And so he says, now these things can happen. Guys, I propose to you this morning, life, life has its challenges and its difficulties. But, and Paul, Paul knows this. A writer of the gospel, uh, of most of the uh, most of the New Testament, who's been through all of this, can write that sort of stuff. He's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been accused falsely, all sort, and he writes that sort of stuff. He's living it and he's breathing it. No wonder he was the greatest apostle of all time. And this is what he says: You can do this. It's not just unique to me. You can do this. I encourage you just to pick up one thing I've said today, and start practicing it. Or maybe you're, you're doing some of the things and you think that one there I need to concentrate on. This is application now. Leave this building moving towards the, the Thessalonians passage of setting apart. And watch what God can do. It changes everything about tomorrow and it'll help you move forward. Amen? Well, I want to close in prayer. And as I do, I want to talk to people here today who who may not know Jesus, you're not engaged and you, you have come and maybe you are a little overwhelmed with, wow, this is different. Didn't know church was like this. And maybe you're away from God, right? Maybe you're backslidden and somebody's brought you here and it's time to, to return. I cannot close the service without giving you opportunity to ask him into your life. The gospel is a gospel of good news. And the good news is when it comes to that first part of sanctification I talked about, the moment you're set apart, positional sanctification, here it is. It's not on your merit, it's on His merit. It's not on my, your goodness, it's on His goodness. It's not on what I'm doing, it's what He's done. It's not on whether I've done the, you know, separated myself so He likes me. Jesus did it all on the cross. 
The good news is there's nothing you bring to the table. Accept your life and say, here it is. The bad news is, if you wanted bad news Christianity, you've got to line up these things. You've got to be this good. You've got to be this perfect. You've got to be this person. And Jesus said, forget all that. Because at the end of the day, here's what happens. I receive Him. He doesn't receive me. I receive all His goodness. I don't have to be good enough for Him to receive me. Good news. Good news. Which is probably why you come to a church like this and it's a happy clappy. Because they're living in the rejoicing moment. So I want to give you opportunity today if you don't know Jesus or you want to return to Him to just discover that for yourself as I, as I pray. Are you ready? Let's pray, shall we? Why don't we just stand at this moment, if that's okay? Um, and I want you Christians to pray without ceasing right now because there's people's eternity right on the line here. People's lives tomorrow on the line. And we want to give them opportunity to engage in the good news. Father, we thank you today for Jesus and everything He's done to help us live this rich, prosperous, overflowing life that the Gospel brings. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. I'm talking to people today who don't know Jesus. I'm talking to people today who have walked away from Him. And this is what I want to do. I want to count to three. And when I get to the number three, if you would say, Scott, I want to accept Him. I want to receive Jesus. I want to come back. When I get to the number three, just raise your hand. You know, when you're in the water and it's rough and you need someone to help you out, we raise our hand. And it's an indication I'm reaching out. So here we go. One, for those of you who don't know Jesus and not walking with Him, this is your opportunity. Two, for those of you who are away from God right now and you know it's time to come home. Here we go. Three, just lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm receiving Him, coming home. Thank you. Anybody else, quickly, just lift up your hand and reach out to Him now. Over there, thank you very much. Anybody else? Eternal decisions right now to receive Him. Let's make sure we embrace that. Quickly, God, I wanna close this and pray. If you're reaching out, just raise your hand now and we'll help you lead you on a great journey of discovery in Jesus. Anybody else? Amen. Father, I thank You today for people who've responded to this message and are reaching out to You. And I pray right now that as they take the first steps of that sanctifying, being set apart, that moment that releases to them all life, that they'll embrace it and enjoy it in Jesus' Name. Let's give those people a big encouragement right now.